Tasmania is largely running on hydro energy. So if we are to reduce our emissions further, we really need to look at the transport sector, the waste sector, and also working with our community on community emissions. That's Mayor Anna Reynolds of Hobart, Tasmania, detailing the ways in which the city is leading the charge for sustainability in Australia, highlighting efforts to reduce emissions and improve efficiency within municipal operations in conversation with Tony Boatman at Impact X. Welcome to City Climate Innovation, a special Climate Talks podcast miniseries from the University of Melbourne and the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, or GCOM. I'm your host, Ben Hanse, Head of Research and Innovation with the GCOM Secretariat in Brussels. And I'm Cathy Oak from the Melbourne Centre for Cities and advisor to GCOM's Innovate for Cities initiative. Welcome, listeners. Today, we turn our attention to Hobart, the capital of Tasmania, Australia, and hear how the city is moving towards its new climate action plan. That's right. Towards the end of 2023, the city of Hobart started to engage the community in the development of their new climate future strategy called Climate Ready Hobart, working together for our living city. In response to the climate and biodiversity emergency declared by the city of Hobart, the council has invited members of the community across all sectors to apply and to represent the varied interests of residents through the formation of the Hobart Climate Assembly. Yeah, this group of 30 representatives will convene to identify mutually beneficial solutions to address needs and incorporate ideas raised in surveys covering all city stakeholder groups from business to academia to residents and youth under the age of 25 who have expressed concern for the future of their city. In today's episode, we're pleased to have GCOM board member representing Oceania, Lord Mayor Anna Reynolds, join us alongside Hobart's Climate Futures Lead, Jess Robbins. To close out the episode, we have Poria Saleh, Head of Urban Research, Innovation and Development at the ICLE World Secretariat and Co-Chair of GCOM's Research and Innovation Technical Working Group. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Climate Talks podcast, Mayor Anna Reynolds. Thank you. First off, actually, I'd like to thank you for your participation in the most recent Innovate for Cities Global Marketplace in October. And for listeners, we'd love for you to actually elaborate on what you spoke about at that event. In particular, you shared your perspective on the special role that research and innovation plays in your city of Hobart in Tasmania. So, yeah, please, if you could elaborate on what you spoke about it at the Global Marketplace. Oh, yes. And um, thanks, Cathy. I hope that I'm elaborating because it's been a few weeks since then. I imagine what I talked about was how uh, Hobart is very much a city that recognises its place in the world. We are a city that is one of only five cities sitting on the 
doorstep of the Southern Ocean. We're a gateway to Antarctica uh, and as such we're very aware of our place in the world of those big global systems like the Southern Ocean, like the, the polar regions and their impact on everything, um, their impact on global systems but their impact on our local weather systems. So we're very, uh, I think as a general rule, the city is quite conscious of those drivers and also the fact that we have a very high percentage or um, per capita of scientists in our living in our community. So some of the, the highest concentrations of marine Antarctic scientists in the world are based here in Hobart, in the city of Hobart. And so they're our neighbours. We run into them at parties. We get invited to their events. We hear about their research on the radio a lot more often. So we're, we have a, a quite a significant number of IPCC scientists as well. And that's been the case for quite a few decades. So uh, science and research is certainly part of the fabric of Hobart. And that does filter into how we... Um, want to tackle issues and how we, uh, I guess, see the role of science and research in our collaborations with the community and in, in the design of our, of our climate change work. Yeah, it would be fabulous to continue on that thread and hear from you as a city leader, um, you know, how does research and innovation factor into the development of your climate policy? And, I mean, you can let us know and whether having so many scientists as your constituents, whether they also hold you to account with respect to the evidence base of your, your policy decisions. But, you know, how does research come into discussions at the city, in the chamber or in the policy development? You know, I've got to be completely honest with you and say that a lot of researchers and a lot of NGOs even aren't that interested in local government. Um, so we don't get targeted by people who say, you know, I've come up with this, you know, great new bit of research or we've got a discussion paper about how cities can, you know, pick the perfect climate strategy. You know, we're not getting approached by lots of researchers and, and sort of think tanks. In some ways we have to seek it out and we have to seek out those partnerships Different departments will be more inclined to do that depending on their work and the visibility of the research and innovation that's close to them. So there can often be uh, something around the culture of the team and to what extent they want to look at best practice at what they want to look at innovation. So, for example, you know, waste, for example, I get the feeling that a lot of people involved in waste in local government these days do network. They find out what's happening in other parts of Australia and the world. They're always drawing on, on research and innovation. Similarly, we've got a fabulous bushland team that work on fire and biodiversity uh, and the use of fire, obviously, for the um, trying to uh, have fuel reduction burns in our bushland, but also thinking about the role of fire and biodiversity and the changes that will be happening due to climate change. And they're a much more specialised practice, and so they they probably don't have the kind of big research networks that the waste team does, but they are very networked in with uh, fantastic fire geographers, pyrogeographers, I think they're called, uh, at our university here locally. And, you know, and there is a small 
group of people right around the world working in local government and local authorities thinking about uh, fire and responses to it from a climate perspective because there's obviously so much change happening so quickly. So there are gems of fantastic collaboration and use of research and use of innovation. But, you know, politics itself, that we do have a governance challenge in local government. Um, the decision makers may not listen to research. You know, a, a team of officers might have worked for years even to pull together the research to, to, to back up a city decision, but politics can sometimes trump evidence. Uh, and so we have to always be ensuring that it's not just innovation and research isn't just held by the experts, that the community become advocates for that evidence base so that they can be talking to their elected officials so that we're, you know, that everybody is coming along the journey. That's a really important part of making progress. Um, in the interest of time, I would like to pick up on your last point there around advocacy, but actually switch tact and highlight your role as a city leader in Australia and amongst Australian cities advocating around climate action and the role of local government in national decisions and national actions around climate change. And as you know, at COP28, the local government constituency is very much focused on multi-level governance and, and multi-level climate action. What do you think is the greatest opportunity here in Australia or even from your state of Tasmania for the all three levels of government in Australia to work a lot stronger together to facilitate the stronger climate action that we're all seeking and need? Sometimes global treaties or global collaborations can be a long way from the, the coal phase. Sorry for the fossil fuel yes. pun there, <laughs> but there can be a big gap between, you know, international work and, and treaty negotiations or international networks and what local governments and mayors and councillors need on the ground. But I think in this case, a lot of the progress that we're going to make on getting uh, local government better recognised by our national and state governments probably will come through some of these pieces we're seeing at the global level. So whether it's through the active work of the city networks who are very good at promoting best practice around the world and people being much more aware of how cities, if not their own, you know, their own city might not be completely ahead of the game, but they're, you know, there are so many great stories about cities doing amazing things. And yeah, that's really influential. And then um, the pressure that hopefully will come starting with COP28, but we hope that that thread of pressure continues right through to COP31 if it happens here in Australia, that message about the need to have much better integration between federal, national and regional local governments working together and delivering solutions on the ground faster. I really hope that the international process helps us have that conversation in Australia and actually get somewhere because, um, yeah, we have had a new, we've just got a new government only last year and they hadn't been in government for a decade. The climate change bureaucracy had been completely defunded and there weren't that many people working in that space. And so we really are rebuilding and that leadership that's coming from the international level to say to national governments, you know, you, you've got to do more with local governments is actually really helpful right now because 
there's nobody else really um, leading that conversation as strongly at a, at a national level. Um, and so those of us who want to advance that issue can really um, build on the, the leadership that's coming out from the international negotiations and the international city networks. Absolutely. And I think that's a good moment to end our interview with you, Lord Mayor Anna Reynolds. Thank you for joining us. We're going to hear a bit more about your very specific and new climate policy with Jess Robbins in a moment. Great. Thank you. See you soon. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much, Cathy. Great to be here. So the city has just started engaging your residents and your community in a new climate strategy. I saw it was on the front page of your local newspaper, no less. Can you let us know a bit more about what this engagement looks like? What's your ambition? Oh, thanks, Cathy. So um, what we've done is we've just kicked off a call, which is for the people of Hobart, those that live, work, study and play, to join us in making Hobart climate ready. What that looks like, uh, this is all part of developing our new climate strategy, as you just mentioned, but really what we want to do, there's two things that this is really based on. One is a really strong evidence base, so making sure that we're really, you know, using the research and innovation uh, globally as well as nationally and locally to build our strategy. But also the second part is making sure that we have really deep collaboration with the community from a really, you know, people from really diverse backgrounds to make sure that we have both diverse voices and thinking reflected within um, this conversation. So we very much see that that deep collaboration and engagement with the community early on in shaping up the strategy is really a vital part of what innovation really looks like, as well as just a way of tapping into that enormous wealth, knowledge, lived experience um, that is so vital in making sure that when we actually get the strategy in place, that the community sees themselves as part of this work, that they have also understand what the priorities are, they understand what they can do. So it's really this moment of collaboration is also that opportunity to lay the foundations of how we can work together moving forward. And so how does the new climate strategy build on previous work that the city has done? Yeah, the city's actually uh, led on climate change for over 20 years. So we were actually one of the first cities involved in the cities for climate protection. And yeah, an enormous amount of work has been done. Like I think um, there's so many trailblazers that have worked in, in climate change within the city of Hobart, but also, um, you know, that have been in the community working on from the science to, to solutions for, for much longer than the city actually has been. So, you know, we've really wanted to tap into that knowledge, that expertise, um, as I was saying. So in part, there's uh, a few levels in the ways in which we're doing this. One is like really working with staff across the organisation. Some staff have been here for, for much longer than others. Um, and so making sure that they uh, really have bringing their organisational understanding 
into um, development of the climate strategy and also then really working and, and collaborating with the community. But one of the big changes that we've actually faced recently is that, you know, often climate change can be seen as being one person's job. Like, you know, you may be lucky enough um, in your city or local government to have a climate officer. For many, they don't. So really my work is more about how is it that we can make climate change everybody's business, both across the organisation and across the city. And that requires a different way of organising um, and prioritising how we do things. So so that's just some of the ways that we're tapping into that that long-term knowledge that the organisation has on, on climate action to shape how we move forward. And I should say as well that one of the priorities there when I talk about tapping into that long-term knowledge, we've really also grounded our work in the First Nations knowledge and priorities as well. So really making sure that we're starting from that deep knowledge of how it is that we connect uh, to country, nature and community as key priorities in shaping up our response to climate change. But obviously this podcast is looking at how cities, research, policy, practice all intertwine and work together for climate action. So how does research and innovation factor into your strategy development? Will you be procuring specific pieces of research or you're not sure yet because you've got to get your priorities set first? Yeah, it's, it's one of those um, really key pillars and through really developing that evidence base, which is informed by the science of obviously what the science tells us uh, we need to do and making sure that we're really aligning to reduce our emissions as quickly as possible to make sure that we can do our part to achieving uh, or maintaining a 1.5 degree world, even though that does look less likely, it seems, uh, every day. But, you know, so we have like some quite practical things in the way that we're working, of course, in doing our emissions inventories, you know, making sure that we're using Using that sort of research to show where we need to place our effort so that then, you know, we can then look at reducing our emissions as quickly as possible in the largest sectors first and, and really looking at how to tap into then collaborations, particularly with the university and researchers. So we have, of course, the University of Tasmania, but collaborating with University of Melbourne on, on a number of things at the moment. I'm actually going to be attending COP28, which is thanks to the University of Melbourne Centre for Cities undertaking a um, city diplomacy masterclass. And so that was quite a unique collaboration where city officers have been involved with the university in understanding how it is that we can elevate the role of cities as part of that global discussion. So that's been quite an interesting little collaboration and a little bit outside of the norm. But coming back to um, the, the sort of more uh, traditional spaces of, of climate change work at a local government level, really understanding that sort of emission reduction pathway work. And secondly, we've also just undertaken a climate risk assessment. So the Lord Mayor just mentioned, you know, that we you know have some really fantastic researchers here. And, and I think in undertaking our climate risk assessment, again, that was a really great opportunity to have some of our academic researchers really present in the room, helping us to review and understand what the risks are to Hobart locally. So there's some really practical ways that we've been using research. I think innovations is, you know, a piece that we're excited about. We're figuring out how we can better shape up sort of some collaborations and partnerships, particularly with private sector to look at what new technologies or old technologies can be applied in new ways to help us achieve our broader goals. Thank you so much for the update of your strategy and your plans. And yeah, thanks for joining the podcast today, Jessica. Thanks so much, Cathy. Horia, thank you so much for joining us on, on this episode of City Climate Innovation. It's fantastic 
to have you. Before we dive into the questions ever so briefly, would you care to introduce yourself to our lovely audience here? Hi, uh, I'm Poria Salehi, the head of Urban Research, Innovation and Development Department at ICLE World Secretariat and coordinator of ICLE's global research strategy across all ICLE offices. I've also the pleasure of being um, the co-chair of Research and Innovation Technical Working Group at Global Covenant of Mayors. So maybe just diving into the context of this episode where we've had fantastic conversations with Mayor Reynolds, uh, with the city of Hobart, wanted to ask you in, in your role at ICLEI's World Secretariat, could you lightly explain how the organization approaches city-focused research and perhaps the manner in which Hobart sets an example for other cities across Australia, across the region, and certainly across the global ICLEI network as well? So coming on to Hobart, Hobart is one of our members and is a, a city that sets example, as you said, for others across the country, across the region, uh, and also across our network. Hobart has been reducing its uh, corporate emissions since 2000 and has made an impressive reduction of 68% over the past years. So Hobart is committed to ensuring the sustainability of its city and community. The city has adopted a strategic uh, plan to address sustainable development growth indicators, climate change, and waste management issues. It sets a superb example regarding climate leadership and action for sustainability on multiple fronts, including A, the Climate Ready Hobart project, which entails working with the community to build a climate strategy for Hobart, outlining the priorities and actions to become climate ready. The main actions include zero emissions, natural systems restored, climate resilience, uh, everyone working together to take action and equal access to climate solutions. Also, Hobart is setting an example for other cities in two fundamental ways that I can see. Uh, the first one is the city is taking a collaborative approach to climate strategy. Since April this year, they have been working with climate leaders, researchers, and experts to gather the evidence, data, and possible solutions for Hobart. They're also involving the community via the Hobart Climate Assembly, uh, which will be a space for selected community representatives to discuss the draft climate strategy and the findings of the community uh, consultation. I appreciate this process a lot because it brings scientific insights and human needs to set an actionable vision for, uh, for the city. And then the second is by leveraging science-based reflection on what it means for their city to be climate ready, identifying the specific challenges, the persisting one, but also the future needs that the city will face and, uh, and the resources and collaborations needed to address them. This lays a foundation for a long-term transformative approaches that we so urgently need uh, cities to lead on. There really is so much to unpack in all of this, and the agenda-setting portion of the work is so crucial to helping ensure that across the city climate action journey, at scale and on a global scale, especially with the size of ICLEI's network, for example, there are examples and role models that other cities and local governments could potentially follow suit or at least take inspiration from, right? So I, I really appreciate that example. I'm very curious, Puria, one of the key topics that's coming out 
in the field of research and innovation and certainly in the agendas that we're putting forward as an alliance through the Global Covenant is digitalization, specifically of city systems and services that can help deliver um, at greater speed and scale to ever-growing numbers of residents in, in specific cities. Very curious to understand how you see that being deployed globally, what trends might be most interesting to pick up on from your perspective, uh, and maybe if there's any sort of risks that we need to be aware of going forward when it comes to digitalization. It's obviously, as you mentioned, no secret that digitalization is a topic close to my heart. <laughs> and, and this is because digitalization and emerging technologies, from my perspective, are objectively game-changing for cities and communities. However, as we know, for examples of uh, technocentric smart cities, technology and data are important, but even more so is the process through which uh, they are applied. Uh, making sure that technology is given the backbone of proactive policy and collaborative efforts uh, that incorporate all actors, such as civil society, startups, and incubators, uh, for example, is imperative for unlocking co-benefits for long-term success and ensuring that technology lives up to the hype of being a catalyst for change. When it comes to Hobart, the Connected Hobart Smart City Action Plan is a shining example of how a city is uh, responding to the forced industrial revolution and leveraging that, and is also uh, this uh, this action plan is accompanied by the Connected Hobart Smart City Framework, which provides strategic support for how smart cities will be applied in, uh, in the jurisdiction. I find it particularly exciting that one of the plan's goals is to support the ecosystem of startups by examining methods uh, for supporting the startups and digital economy to drive local innovation. This approach aligns well with our uh, call for cities to expand their climate and innovation agendas and visions for the future to include and uh, be centered on the current and future human needs. Poria, thanks so much. And I, I just want to pick apart that, that last piece. I think it's totally fair for our listeners to know Poria and I have been working together for years now. But specifically on, on this piece where you, you mention, you know, the rise of startups uh, incubator communities and, and working with different sets of partners and stakeholders. This has been a relatively recent but very rapid trend, rapidly increasing trend, right? And I'm, I'm very curious, you know, obviously in Hobart, it's fantastic that this is now starting to happen. Where are you seeing other examples of these types of practices or environments that are already also starting to take place in other parts of the world, these sort of beacons of, of innovation specifically and, and where we could be making that kind of cross-sector progress. You're very right. We collectively observe that this is a very uh, just an emerging trend and uh, very rapidly is changing the landscape of the way cities are, are working. So the so reality is um, for our audience, what we are uh, advocating for uh, at ICLE, but also at Global Covenant of Mayors, is the shift of the uh, role of cities from merely service provider to community enabler. And when we are talking about community enablement, we refer to uh, an enabling environment uh, where different actors can take uh, bigger steps and, and cities just like provides the capabilities for them. And obviously, one of the key actors are startups because they can step in, they can offer innovative solutions that can produce positive change on the ground uh, in, in a short amount of time. 
We have some examples, uh, for example, Cubic that is coming to the UNFCCC COP28 uh, from Africa. Regarding this, uh, the latter part of your question, I would like to sort of like to flip your question around, given the good practice in Hobart. It would be great for Hobart to continue engaging with peer learning initiatives so other cities can learn from the city's great uh, progress. More importantly, we need to change the conversation from good or best practices to the next practices. Like what practices will go beyond the current best practices that are mostly aimed at uh, optimizing existing systems towards breakthroughs driven by demand, emerging technologies, and new challenges. To find this out, we need to not only learn from our successes, but also reflect on our mistakes. Generally speaking, uh, we are seeing a positive shift from sectoral approach to an integrated approach regarding sustainability. Hobart encourages collaboration across all sectors and levels of government in their sustainability action. So I would recommend looking into some successful ways of actioning this approach from other cities. I put a pause here, but this is a conversation that we can, you know, sort of have for one ever as we have a ton of examples, as we believe cities are already doing great job and been talking about innovation and, and sustainable solution and transformation within the cities. We really need to meet cities where they are. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Puria. And it's really key to see, right, this tapestry that cities globally are starting to build of these innovative solutions that are born out of the needs that they face and the needs that the residents face. It's so crucial. Puria Salehi with the Ickley World Secretary, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to our guests and, of course, to our listeners for joining us today. I acknowledge that this podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. You've been listening to the City Climate Innovation Podcast Series, produced by Greta Robinstone, Melania Taconi, Evangelos Koulis, Andrew Irvin, Nina Hotop, and Ben Chandler. Thanks to Music for a Warming World for providing the show's music, taken from their album, Only One Way to Head. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. More information can be found in the show notes on the Climate Talks podcast page. And you can also follow us on X at Mayors for Climate, at Network Cities and at MCF Uni Melb. Thanks so much and take care, everybody.